excited about preaching this message to you. Um, if anything, I may be over-prepared today because I have been so excited about what I feel like that the Lord has placed in my spirit that I just keep going back to it and, uh, and, and going through and going through. And finally, I just in prayer this morning, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I've done as much as I know how to do to prepare for this message today. Now, everything is up to you. Lord, as I speak today, I pray that you will anoint the ears of the hearers, that they will somehow hear beyond my words and connect in the realm of the Spirit in such a way that it will be transformational for your life. So Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 1 through verse 11, let's read. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. <clears throat> and if anyone says to you, you shall say, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, and they put, them, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees, and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city, can you say the whole city? The whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus. From Nazareth of Galilee. Now, Father, as I begin to preach, I stand upon your promise that says, Every word that comes from you that proceeds forth shall accomplish everything that you send it forth to do. So, Lord, your word is going to do a powerful work in the lives of your people today. They are anointed to hear. The word of God is in them. Let it be on their mouth so that as they walk through life and live, in your will, Father, that they will be able to have victory in every area because of your word. Lord, you're going to do thing, great things today, and I thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, in recent years, I'm sure that you've heard a lot of sermons, myriads of sermons that have been preached about this idea of spiritual repositioning. Now, I'm going to explain to you in just a few moments what I mean by that spiritual repositioning. In fact, it has been described in many various ways. And if you listen to very many preachers other than me, maybe on TBN or Daystar or uh, or maybe you have <clears throat> printed material that comes to you in the mail. You've probably heard it said in a variety of different ways. You've probably had preachers say, look, it's time for you to move up higher. Anybody ever seen or heard that? Maybe some of them have said, hey, our church is upward bound. I like that one too. Some of them have said, hey, we're going to the next level. That's, that's a particular favorite of mine. Others have said, we're going deeper. 
How can you go higher and go deeper at the same time? I'm not sure, but it's possible to do in the Lord. Others have said, forward we go and forward we march. And then uh, Israel Houghton a few years ago wrote a song that said it like this. It's a new season. It's a new day. Now, I'm not being critical today. I could go on and on with different ideas of how to express what I'm trying to say to you today. I'm not criticizing because I truly believe that God wants to bring us up higher. I believe God wants you to live in a place spiritually where you've never lived before. And if you are willing, God can take you to a place where you've never been before. And it will be more exciting than you've ever experienced in your life. And you will be far greater blessed than you've ever been if you're just willing to take the journey. The problem is that we get too comfortable with where we are in our spirit. We get to this place where it all feels good to us. It feels right to us. It, it just, it's even keeled. I, 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 can, I know that some of you were absolutely squirming in your seats this morning when the Holy Spirit began to manifest through tongues and interpretation. I, I'm sure that some of you were sweating bullets in your seat and thinking, uh, what in the world is going on? And what it is, is that we've sometimes grown uncomfortable with those types of manifestations because we don't see them as frequently as we used to see them. But let me tell you today, God is calling us to a higher place. He's calling us to get out of our comfort zone and allow Him to do in us and through us what He desires. So as I was thinking about this Palm Sunday and and the passage of Scripture today, I went back and I read it and read it again. And, you know, commonly it's referred to as the triumphal entry. I like that terminology, don't you? In fact, this whole entire passage of Scripture is one of of my favorites. It's, It's a beautiful passage. It is historically accurate and it is prophetically engaging. When we look at it and see the young colt and then the coats and the palm branches as they are laying on the pathway before the Christ coming. And then I love the shouts, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm telling you, it's an inspiring passage of scripture. It's poetic. It is beautiful. It is powerful. And not only is it those things, but it's extremely important that we knew about this passage of Scripture. In fact, all four of the Gospels include this in their writing. Matthew did, Mark, Luke, and John. You will find this story told in various ways in each of those Gospels. So it was important for us to know that something was going on here. But as I began to read it, and as I began to ponder it, I began to think in my spirit, there has to be something more than just palm branches and coats and donkeys and hosannas and hallelujahs. Let me tell you something, in your walk with the Lord, there's got to be something more than hosannas and hallelujahs and donkeys and coats and palm branches. At some point, you've got to be willing to bring yourself up higher in your relationship with Him. And as I began to look at this, I began to realize that this describes, excuse me, a divine transition. Jesus was going from one place to another, and I'm not just talking about physically. 
Though he was going from Bethpage to Jerusalem, this was about more than an earthly journey. Something was happening in the spirit realm that was causing the entire world to shift through this man named Jesus. And I'd like to suggest to you today that if Jesus had not been willing to take this journey, and if Jesus had not been willing to accept this transition, then we might not have ever been able to experience salvation in our lives. Because he had to move from being just a carpenter and all that he was to become the actual Messiah who would hang upon a cross at Calvary and die for the remission of our sins. So something had to happen here. From this point forward, every step that he took would be a divine acceleration to his divine appointment at Calvary. There would be no turning back from this point forward. He would not be able to say, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to go back. Oh, he could have done it, but he knew in the spirit realm that if he did not do what needed to be done, then he would have, his purpose would have been foiled. But Jesus was not going to let that happen. He'd already made up his mind. This transition has to happen, and I'm just the guy who is able to do it. Amen. And so from this point forward, everything would be different. So today, I want to share five components that are observable in the spiritual repositioning of Jesus. I want to point out to you today as we start that these same five components are necessary if you are going to be spiritually repositioned as well. And let me just say from the very outset, the entire message and the point of the message is today Somehow to inspire you to live above where you are right now. I know God's done wonderful things in your life. I I know that what he has done for you is absolutely amazing. And every day when you wake up, you start with a praise and a thanksgiving. Because of all that God has done and all that the Spirit of God is doing in you. But listen, today's blessing won't get you through tomorrow. And it won't get you through what you're going to face a week from now and a year from now. You've got to mature in Christ and come to a place where you are stronger, higher, deeper in the Spirit of God. And the good news is, is that if you'll walk with Him, He will allow you to get to that place. Now, here's the first of those five uh, components. The first is, is that there has to be a convincing call. You, You have to know what your purpose is. You have to know what you are designed for. You have to know what God's will for your life is more than just whether or not you're going to have fried chicken and mashed potatoes for dinner after church is over. God created you with a purpose. God knew you before you were ever even born. You were wonderfully made. You were created in His image. You were beautifully created and wonderfully made in His image. You are the child of the living God. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are part of a holy nation and a royal priesthood. You are not just some Kentucky redneck. Say amen. You are a child of the living God. Amen. But you've got to understand what your convincing call is. Now the earthly manifestation of Jesus 
was subject to change and a maturing process, just like you and I are subject to a maturing process. But but the interesting thing is that Jesus was always aware of his ultimate purpose. I I find it interesting that in Scripture, in one place it says, I am the Lord thy God and I change not. And yet we see from Genesis to Revelation, God revealing himself in different ways. And you, you might be tempted to say, well, God changed or God's changing. And no, God's not changing. His character's the same. His integrity's the same. His nature is the same. God hasn't changed, but he's revealing himself on different levels. Think about it. Before creation even came, he knew that he was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He knew as a baby, one day he was in heaven, enjoying all of heaven. And then the next day he had been born from the lineage of David and was laying in a manger in Bethlehem. When he was 12 years old, his parents couldn't find him and they started looking for him. And when they finally found him, he said, well, wouldn't you have known that I have to be about my father's business? I don't have time to play kickball in the street. I have a divine purpose on my life. I have to be about the father's business. And he knew that when he was a young man. He was a businessman uh, who was a carpenter by trade. And he was known in that manifestation. And then one day John Baptist declared. He said, hey, look, see that guy coming down the road? You need to behold him for he is the Lamb of God. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove and put the anointing of of God upon his life and then suddenly the voice of the Lord is heard at at another time and, and, and shortly after this is my son in whom I am well pleased Jesus knew who he was he had a convincing call he was assured of it now he wasn't like me when I was dating Donna she almost did not marry me because I was not a preacher I'm I'm still not much of one, but I sure wasn't one at all back in that day. And she just wasn't certain. And so I started kind of, you know, uh, compromising or, 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 or just kind of, you know, with God, just debating the whole issue. And I, I said, okay, I'll go to school. I'll get my music degree and I'll, I'll be a music director in a local church and direct choirs and all that kind of stuff. Kind of just bartered with God and, and all the time knowing because I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to do anything but be a pastor. I would have been thrilled to have been a music director in the church and then walk out the door and let the pastor deal with all the rest of the stuff stuff. But over a series of years and over a period of time, I had to come to a place where I accepted the call that God had upon my life. Jesus himself said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So in scripture we see him from before creation. When he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. All the way through the other stages. And there's some revelation that we still do not have. He just told us a few minutes ago by his spirit he's coming again. Listen the next time he come he's not coming to a manger in Bethlehem. He's not going to lay in some horse trough somewhere. When he comes the next time he's coming as the reigning king. Amen. The king of kings uh, and the lord of lords. 
swords and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. Amen? So it started with a convincing call. And the second thing is, is that we have to have a prophetic urgency. Jesus didn't rely on guesswork when it came to the timing. He knew when this move needed to take place. Because he recalled the prophetic utterances that were given by prophets of old. His repositioning would mirror the declarations that were made by prophets that spoke them many years ahead of his earthly existence. And he was aware of the prophetic urgency. He knew that I can't go my own way, as Fleetwood Mac would say. I have to go the way of the Lord. I, I have to go the way of the Father. I can't speak the words that I want to speak. I have to speak the words that I hear him say. I can't do the things that I want to do in this fleshly temple. I have to do the things that I know are right spiritually and are confirmed prophetically. Now it's interesting that Matthew reveals the fact that there were two donkeys. That there was a female donkey and then there was a baby donkey. Well, the prophet in the Old Testament had said that he would come riding on a colt that had never before been ridden. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus sent them to get the donkeys, he said, now go get, you'll find them tied there just as you get inside of town. And if somebody comes and says to you, uh, why are you taking the donkeys? You, you just say, the master has need of them. You see, they weren't aware as they should have been about the prophetic word that said that he would come riding on a donkey that had never been ridden before. And so they brought both donkeys to him. And they, both, but they put their coats on both donkeys. Isn't it interesting that common sense would have said that Jesus could have said, well, I have two options here. I could, have, I could ride on this big mama donkey, which is probably more capable of carrying my weight of my, my body and my stature. I can ride on this mama donkey, or there's this little donkey that's never been ridden before. He could have chosen to ride the one that made the most natural sense to him. But you see, he knew that there had been a prophecy given. He knew what the word of the Lord was through the prophet, and he knew that he could not ride on mama donkey. He had to get on that little donkey because when he came into town, one of the ways that they would know that he was the long-awaited Messiah was that he would be riding a donkey, not a mama donkey, but a donkey that had never been ridden before. So Jesus was aware of the prophetic urgency of the moment and knew that I have to stay within the confines of the prophetic. I'd like to suggest to you today, if you're going to be everything that God wants you to be, you're going to have to walk in the prophetic. You can't just go your own way. You just can't do your own thing. You just can't call your own shots. You've got to be willing to say, God, I don't know what it is maybe that you have for me, but you're going to reveal yourself to me. And when you do, however it comes to me, Father, I make the commitment right now and right now that whatever you say for me to do, wherever you ask me to go, whatever your call upon my life is, Father, I will do it and trust that it is the right thing that will bring glory to your name through my life. A prophetic urgency. You say, well, how does that work? Well, it works right here. You see, if you, if, if you will get into the Word of God, you will know everything that you need to know about what God wants you to know. He has re revealed himself 
prophetically through the Word of God. It's what we refer to as the Logos Word of God. It is the written. It is the established Word of God. You don't need to question this. I'm going to go out on a limb now and say that if God has already declared that you should do it, you don't even have to pray about it. You don't have to ask God whether or not you should forgive your neighbor who did something to you. You don't have to ask God if you, you really should love someone who seems unlovable. You don't have to pray about that. You don't have to get a word from God about that. All you have to do is say, God, your, your word already declares that I am will, I'm to be willing to forgive someone who has hurt me, even if I have to do it 70 times 7 every day of my life. Your word has spoken, Father, and that Therefore, I will line my life with the prophetic utterances of the Word of God. You say, what about those things where God is not specifically speaking into my situation? Oh, He is. He's speaking. You're just not hearing. Because we have what is called the rhema Word of God. It it is the active Word of God. It is the lively Word of God that is still speaking to us. It it won't be contrary to the Word of God. It won't conflict with the Bible. It will confirm the written Word of God. But God will rise up in you by your Spirit and take you to Scriptures and passages that you forgot about a long time ago. And it will live again in your Spirit. There's a prophetic urgency. I remember when I went to Bradley, Illinois to pastor that church. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go because I was pastoring a church that I I loved. I, I felt like that I was where I was going to be for the rest of my life. And I even told my wife, I said, man, I love it here. I'm so comfortable here. God is so good to me. I could just live right here for the rest of my life. And one day the overseer called me and said, I want you to consider going to Bradley, Illinois. And I said, not a chance, big boy. I love you. I have respect for you, but I'm not going. I know what's going on up there, and I ain't going. And he, he, he called me again a few days later. He said, I need you to pray about this. And I said, nope. No, I don't, I, I don't, I don't feel God calling me to that. And I hung up the phone. My wife walked in the room, said, was that the overseer? I said, it was. She said, is he asking you to go to Bradley? I said, he did. She said, you know you're going to have to go, right? And I said, get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) He called me a third time and he said, will you at least pray about it? I said, no, sir, I'm not even going to pray about it. And he said, I'll never call you again. He said, but any respect that I had for you just went out the window. He said, how can I respect a man of God who has said that he won't pray about a particular situation? He said, you won't have to worry about ever hearing from me again. I said, thank you, sir. But I I felt, I knew. And then we went to the general assembly and Lamar Vest was the general overseer and he got up and he started preaching and he stopped in the middle of his message and he pointed his bony little finger all the way up into the crowd where I was seated as far away from the altar as I could get. And he said, somebody is about to miss God. I don't know who you are, but you recently said to somebody that you were comfortable and that you were going to stay where you are for the rest of your life. And you, sir, are about to miss God. And I thought, okay, God, I... I hear you. And we went. And when we went, we had a prophetic urgency to go. 
Now, I don't know, I, I, I don't know that get, God did everything that could have been done through me because I was a little stubborn in those days. I might have done something a little different, but I was there because there was a prophetic urgency in my spirit. This is not something I want to do. This is not someplace I want to go. But God, I hear your voice, and I hear it clearly. And if this is your will for my life, I will walk in your will because I hear your still small voice. So what I'm saying to you is is that there will be times in your life when the Spirit of the Most High God will speak to you. Listen, there are times that God allows you to make good decisions, but there are other times in your life that you've got to make God decisions. And there's a big difference between the two. A good decision is when you simply take the Word of God and say, the Word of God tells me to do this, and so I'm going to make a good decision, and I'm going to do it. But there's a God decision when the Spirit of the Most High God comes to you and He gets a hold of your spirit in your quiet time and He tells you to do something that you may not want to do. But listen, church, that's the only way you'll go higher. That's the only way you'll go deeper. That's the only way you'll mature in Him is when you are willing to say, I will hear the prophetic voice of the Lord and I will follow. Thirdly, there is a specific course Now, this is where we start negotiating God's will. This is where we start saying, okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, let me negotiate with you. Let me see if I can cut a better deal with you. Let me see if I can cut a more palatable deal with you. I won't do it all the way, but I'll do it somewhat. Listen, Jesus knew what he had to do. And Jesus knew what was going to be expected of him. I remember a few years ago, Ford had this had had this slogan that they used where a light bulb came up on the screen and it said Ford has a better idea. Do you do you remember that? I used to, I used to think that, you know, God, I've got a better idea. If you'll if you'll just listen to me, I've got, I've got a better idea. If you'll just if you'll just hear me out and hear my case, Lord, I I believe that I convince you, I can convince you to see things my way. Listen, God's not interested in your plan. God's not interested in your will. God's not interested in you having a say. God wants to allow you to know what his will is by revealing it to you. And then he wants you to be obedient to his will. You see, Jesus knew that he could not waver from the eternal plan of God, even though it meant that he was going to be falsely accused. He was going to be arrested. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be crucified. He was going to be laid in a borrowed tomb. He already knew all of that was going to happen, uh, but he was willing to go exactly down the pathway that God needed him to go. He suffered in every way. The scripture tells us that his flesh suffered. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that his sweat became as great drops of blood. He was physically suffering for the cause of Christ. The scripture tells us that his soul suffered because he prayed and he said, Father, if there is any way possible that this cup can pass from me. You see, his soul was suffering. His emotion was involved. His 
feeling uh, was driving him in those moments. So his body suffered and his soul suffered. But thank God, even though his spirit suffered, uh, his spirit was strong enough to cause him to say, but not my will, Father, but thy will be done. Listen, it's time for us to stand up and say, God, not my will be done, but thy will be done in my life. I know it may hurt sometimes. I know it may be difficult. It may hurt me physically. It may hurt me emotionally. But God, you live within me. And so my spirit uh, will overcome. I am more than a conqueror through you. There is nothing that I can't do because of you. I know that I am well able to overcome in every circumstance and every situation that I might face. You see, you've got to start, stop listening to your flesh. You have to stop listening to your emotions. We don't live by feeling. We live by faith in the Word of God. And because we live by faith, sometimes we'll have to do some things that we don't necessarily want to do. Which brings me to point number four. Component number four is that we have to have a steadfast determination. You've got to be determined if you're going to be the person that God wants you to be. And let me just go ahead and give you the bad news. The very minute that you decide that you're going to walk with Christ, no matter what it costs you, nobody is going to come and applaud you. Nobody's going to come and say, good job. I'm a, we're behind you 100%. It's, it's like standing on the cliff at the Grand Canyon and somebody comes up and says, I'm behind you. You feel like they're getting ready to push you off. You know what I'm saying? People aren't going to celebrate your spiritual victories. Your own husband and wife may not celebrate your, your victories. Your kids may not sp- celebrate your spiritual victories. But listen, it's not about who celebrates you. It's about you be willing, being willing to conform to the will of God in every circumstance. You've got to be willing to do it. You see, the same people who on Sunday were saying, Hallelujah, Hosanna, the Messiah is here. The very same ones that thought that he would come and establish an earthly kingdom when they found out that that's not at all what Jesus was going to do. The ones shouting Hosanna and Hallelujah were the same ones that said, give us Barabbas and take this man and crucify him. The same voices that were lifting him up on one day were the same voices that were wanting him to be crucified on another day. People will not celebrate your victories. And then, as soon as you make the decision to follow Christ, the powers of hell will be launched against you. He said, Pastor, I thought you were going to encourage me today. I am. I'm just not there quite yet. Before I decide to encourage you, I just got to tell you the truth. Don't you dare think that when you decide that you're going to follow Christ, that everything gets easy peasy from there on out. If anything, your life will get more difficult and harder when you make a commitment to Christ than it's ever been before. You see, when the devil's not bothering you, you need to start questioning whether or not you're even where you need to be in Christ. The devil doesn't care if you come to church. 
The devil doesn't care if you come and sing a few songs. The devil doesn't even care if you pay your tithe and give in the offering. The devil doesn't care if you do all the religious stuff of the church. But when you start drawing close, close to Jesus, when you start getting filled with the Spirit of God, when your words start mirroring the things of the Word of God, the devil gets riled up about that. He doesn't like it when people get filled with the Spirit of God because he knows when the Spirit of the Most High God rises up within you, then his kingdom is that much closer to coming down. Amen. He'll fight you with every ounce of energy. He fought Jesus in the garden. He fought him. He fought him. He tried to get Jesus to change his mind. He tried to get him to change what he knew that he needed to do. And the powers of hell were launched upon him. I know some of you are thinking, well, pastor, if that's the way that it is, I'll just stay right where I am. I don't need that. I got enough junk in my life. You know what you're doing? You are exalting your junk higher than you are exalting Jesus. Because what you're saying is, is that my junk doesn't expect a whole lot out of me. I can learn how to coexist with my junk. I can learn how to coexist with the enemy. I can learn how to coexist with this situation. I can learn how to coexist. Listen. Jesus didn't die so that you could manage your sin. Jesus died so that your sin could be destroyed from your life and removed from you as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against you again. Amen. So pastor, I'll just say, I'll just stay right where I am. But listen, you need to remember, as one old preacher used to say, if God called you to it, he'll see you through it. Amen. Some of you just need to look in the mirror every day and say, all right, God, if you call me to it, you'll see me through it. It may be tough. It may be difficult. But God, you're on my side. And I know you'll provide every resource that is necessary for me not only to survive this situation, but to thrive in this situation. I'm not going to be just a barely get by pauper, pauper in the kingdom of God. No, sir. I'm going to have everything I need that is provided for me by the Lamb of God. Amen. And then you need to ask yourself every morning when you look at yourself. I don't care how ugly you look. I don't care how your hair's standing up left, right, or in the middle. I don't care if you've got if your eyes are shut with boogers. I, I don't care what you look like. When you look in that mirror, you need to say, I am a child of the Most High God. He lives within me. And if God be for me, who can be against me? Every weapon designed against me for my failure will fail every time. <laughs> Do you ever think about how stupid the devil is? I mean, God is the creator. He has created everything. And then the devil decides he's going to design a weapon. He's going to create a weapon to come against you and try to destroy the creator. Let me tell you something. He's never come up with a plan better than God's. 
He's never come up with anything that would even match what my God is able to do. Amen. The only thing that you've got to do is learn how to stand your ground, church. It doesn't matter what the doctor says to you. I know what the Word of God says. He's your healer. Amen. By His stripes, you are healed. I don't care what the devil says about your finances. If you've been paying your tithe and you've been giving and you understand that God is a God of finance, then you can know that when you bring your tithe to Him, which is His anyways, it does not belong to you. It all belongs to Him. But when you bring it to Him, then you can say, God, the rest of it's up to you. I'm not worried about the bills. I'm not worrying about the mortgage. I'm not worrying about the car payment. Because, I, God, I know that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or think according to the power of God that works in me. You've given me the power to create wealth, God. Therefore, I will not be overcome. You say, well, but I'm just so discouraged. And I'm just so depressed. And I'm just so upset. God, I just, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Hey, you have forgotten that he is our joy. That every morning with every sunrise, he provides brand new mercy for you. That will be more than enough for you to celebrate all the victories that you need to celebrate that day in your life. He will restore you. And you'll be able to pray like the psalmist did and say, Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. See, we've just got to start talking that. That's not a bunch of religious mumbo jumbo. And when we start talking about how sick we are and how upset we are, how mad we are and how frustrated we are and how angry we are, we're just throwing the doors wide open for the, for the enemy to come in and take up residence in our soul and camp out there. Listen, you need to kick the devil out of your mouth and start agreeing with the word of God and saying what thus saith the word of the Lord. Amen. But you got to stand your ground. And then finally, look at your neighbor and say, we finally made it to finally. You have to have a forward trajectory. Wouldn't it be crazy if everybody walked like this all the time? Wouldn't it be nuts? You wouldn't be able to see who's behind you. You'd be banging into people all the time every day. Wouldn't it be crazy if everybody just drove their cars in reverse all the time, like Jane does? Wouldn't that be crazy? Just throw it in reverse and take off to Walmart. It would be chaotic. It would be crazy. And I don't understand how people who have tasted and known that the Lord is good and that the Lord is gracious, and that the Lord is able, how can you take it out of drive and put it in reverse and start moving backwards? I don't get that. I don't understand that. But I see it all the time. Listen, if you're going to be who God wants you to be, you've got to stop going in reverse, and you've got to start going forward. You've got to have a forward trajectory. Oh, but you don't know what I've been through, Pastor, and you don't know what I'm up against. Listen, I understand. Some days will be good and some days will be bad. But if you take, if you take one step back in a day, just make sure before you go to bed at night that you've taken two steps forward. And in the end run, you'll be one step farther along in your journey than you were before. Stop giving up and start going forward. 
You see, Jesus experienced hosannas on Sunday, but he experienced hardship on Good Friday. He could have called the game right there, but he didn't. He knew that some days would seem like utter failure, but he also knew that other days would be total victory. He knew that some days that we would, uh, we would wake up to stormy skies, uh, but he also knew that there would be clear skies when the storm would move itself out of our pathway. He knew that in the good times and the bad, the ups and the downs, uh, the hills and the valley, the important thing is not that you get tired on your way up or that you go too fast on your way down, but that you just keep moving in the right direction. What if somehow between Bethpage and Jerusalem, Jesus had said, you know, I think I've just had enough. I think I've just done. I have had, I've had hosannas. I have, I've had hallelujahs. And now I've had all hell break, break loose. No, he didn't do that because in his mind, in his spirit, he knew what the end result would be. He knew that one day that he would get through his valleys and get through his difficulties and get through his troubles and get through his trials and the job that he was sent to do would be done and all of mankind would have access to blessing because of him. God wants to use you. God wants you to come up higher. God wants you to be more than you can be. If you, if you can hear my heart, let me, just, let me just tell you that this message is for those that you've just got comfortable in your relationship. You've just found that place of level ground and, and you're just going about business as usual. It's time for you to rise up. I look over at Elizabeth Rutland sitting here and when I first came, I didn't even know that she could play the piano. I didn't know that she was at one time a state team talent winner on the keyboard. I didn't know any of that about her. But, but somehow I found out about it. Somebody told on her. Somebody, somebody let the news out. And I went to her and I remember, I, I, I remember Elizabeth, I heard that you play the keyboard. Is that, yeah, well, I, but I haven't played in a long time and I don't know if I could still do it and all that kind of stuff. And she had the choice of saying, yeah, I used to do it, but I don't do it any longer. But instead she said, you know, I need to be doing that again. I need to stir up the gift that is in me. I need to make sure that I'm everything that God has called me to be. And now we see her quite regularly standing on this platform and playing this keyboard and leading worship on Sunday mornings. And some little birdie, some little birdie told me that she sings good too. And now it's time, I think, for us to hear her sing. I, I think it's time for her on the Sundays that she's not over here to be standing over here with a mic in her hand and say, oh, God, you are worthy of my best effort, my best praise. All that I have, all that you have given me is yours. I give it all to you. But it's not just Elizabeth. If this church is ever going to be everything that God has called it to be and designed it to be, it's going to take every one, the last one of you. It's going to call all of you standing up and saying, God, I'll gladly get out of my comfort zone. Lord, you didn't call me to be comfortable. You called me to be conformable. And therefore, I will step out of my comfort zone and I will be everything that you've called me to be. In Jesus' name.
Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for this congregation today. And I pray, Lord God, that you will cause them to have a desire to be everything that you have called them to be. I pray that for many of them, they will make up their minds right now, today. I'm not going to live like I've been living. I'm not going to live short of the goal. I'm not going to barely get by. I'm going to be the child of God. I'm going to be the person that you have called me to be. And I'm going to fulfill the purpose that you have placed in my life. And because of what I will do from this day forward, your spirit residing in me and making it possible, Father, I'm going to be a blessing to everyone I come in contact with. Father, I pray for them that it will be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, will you come and prepare the communion? And in just a moment, I want you to come and get...